I'm excited for this morning as we get to continue our Word of God series. I don't know about you, I've really enjoyed this series, like really enjoyed this series as we've been just walking through the Word of God, looking at some of the major themes, the major pieces that are there. Uh, there's a lot of them, obviously, and we've been, we've been going, this is after the first two weeks, the first two weeks were just kind of how to engage Scripture. We've really spent the next seven weeks, including today, uh, kind of just talking, I don't think we've gotten past uh, First Kings yet, uh, so it's been a while, but we're actually going to, uh, well, I'll, I'll just kind of recap for you. So, so far what we've seen over these six, seven weeks now is really two movements, right? We've seen two movements in Scripture. The first movement, really from point A, this perfect creation that God has made, Genesis 1 and 2, to point B, which is Genesis 3, Genesis 6, all the way up really through Tower of Babel and Genesis 11, where the people of God are rebelling. Genesis chapter 6, God regrets making human beings. That's Genesis 6, 6. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can look that up. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's really in there. Uh, God regretted making human beings. And so we have this point A to point B. It happens really fast, right? We go from point A, perfect creation, to point B, sin enters the picture, and everything is kind of more or less upended uh, and broken and all kinds of stuff. And so we have this point A to point B, but then we also see this movement, which takes the entirety of Scripture to go from point B back to point A. Now, point A, we do get there. Spoiler alert, we get there. In Revelation chapter 22, the tree of life is once again available for the people, right? We can once again be there. The perfect creation, creation, the way that it was meant to be, is there again. And so we have this, this journey that we are on from point B to point A again. And we are also on this journey. We find ourselves right now in Fresno 2021, somewhere in the middle of Jude and Revelation. <laughs> right? This is where we are. Uh, we are in this story as well. And so we find ourselves in the midst of this story going from point B back to point A. But we've been looking at some of the major themes along the way of how we get there. We've looked at the promises to Abraham. We've looked at Moses and uh, the covenant that God made with with Moses and uh, Moses leading the people of God out of Egypt. And we looked last week at just kind of this idea and this theme in scripture of the presence of God. And we saw that really this God's main desire over the whole entirety of scripture is that he wants to be with his people. That's it. That's what God wants. God wants to be with his people. But, you know, it's not always reciprocal, right? This week, we are going to kind of continue this journey. Uh, And this journey actually today is going to lead us from the Old Testament sort of into the New Testament. Uh, And we might come back to the Old Testament at some point, but I wanted to make sure as we got into Palm Sunday and Easter that we were able to be in the New Testament and talk about Jesus in the story. and so. Uh, but the theme that we're going to be talking about this morning uh, is really this idea and this theme and the establishment of the kingdom of God. We're going to look at the kingdom of God this morning as, as is in the Old Testament, and we'll, we'll at the very end just kind of dive into the new as well. But uh, we're going to start this morning in the book of 1 Samuel. And just as a fair warning, I do this often, but just as a fair warning, we're going to be all kinds of places this morning, uh, especially in the Old Testament as we look at the kingdom of God. We're going to start this morning in the book of 1 Samuel. And in, in the book of 1 Samuel, as you're turning there, and the, what we see in 1 Samuel is that the people of God have come through. The, they've, they've come out of Egypt, obviously. They have inherited the promised land. We talked about that a little bit last week in Joshua. Uh, and at this point, uh, they are 
basically, we get to this point, and they have kind of been through this roller coaster, right? The book of Judges is, is quite the roller coaster of a book, right? It's, basically, we see this dynamic of God's faithfulness and Israel's unfaithfulness. And whenever Israel is unfaithful, God will call someone to come in and call them out of it, and they do, and then they go right back down. And then God calls someone else out to, to go and call them up out of what they're doing, and then God will bring them out of that, and then they go back down again. Samuel is the last of the judges, Samuel is the last of these prophets uh, that God calls to come and to call his people out of something, uh, at least in this, this portion of Scripture, at least. And as we'll read in 1 Samuel 8, uh, we're going we're gonna to see that this is the point in which Israel becomes a monarchy for the very first time. We see this, this, this idea of kingdom begin to happen here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So here we go. First uh, Samuel 8, starting at verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old, which I just love, by the way. Like, they get all the, all the leaders together and they're like, you're old, <laughs> Yeah, maybe just me. I think that's funny. But uh, they say, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will, make, uh, he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, and he will give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves." When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone, go back to your own town. So it's at this point in Scripture where Israel, in the very next chapter, Samuel, uh, he anoints Saul to be king over Israel, over the descendants of Abraham, right? The, the, this is who the Israelites are, they're descendants of Abraham. So he anoints Saul to be the king over Israel. And at this point, Israel becomes a monarchy for the very first time. What they had been before that was a theocracy. The king of Israel was God. The leader of Israel was God. The one sitting on the throne was God. And now they want a real king, <laughs> a real king, meaning they want a human king, right? They want a human to be able to lead them. And God basically just says, look, give them what they want. 
They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. You know, but most things, might like most things in the Old Testament, this doesn't really last that long until it doesn't sound so good anymore. Right? It took Adam and Eve three chapters to, to <laughs> it, takes, it takes Saul six chapters to be rejected by God. He's rejected by God in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Right? God, God rejects Saul as king, and he anoints, and he, he chooses David to be the next king. David is chosen by God, and in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David becomes the king. And a couple of chapters later, we read about a promise and a covenant that God makes with David. And it doesn't sound really all that unfamiliar from some of the covenants and the promises that we've read already. So let's read that. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, it's just, again, just the next book, chapter 7. Uh, and we'll read this. And we're going to read, again, all of this chapter because there's a, this covenant from God and there's some things that David prays <coughs> Excuse me, on the back half of this that are just important for us to see. And so, uh, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, this is David speaking, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. This should make some sense after last week. We talked about the presence of God being in the tent of meeting. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say for you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and other gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. 
You've established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promise, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now this this chapter here uh, is, I hope you caught some of this. Did you see some of the same themes that we've seen in the promises to Abram? That you get in verse 9 and verse 10, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to establish this place where your people will be planted. Right? That's, that could be taken straight out of Genesis chapter 12. Right? We could go even further, verse 22, 23, 24. All of that is really straight out of some of these promises that God gave to Abraham and to Moses and all of these promises. And really what we have here is another covenant in Scripture. Really, it's kind of the, the fourth or fifth, depending on how you want to look at things, uh, covenant that we've seen so far. Right? We've seen kind of this covenant with Adam, this covenant of creation. I'm going to place you over creation, uh, and you'll be able to name all the animals and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of the iffy one. That, that you could take that as a covenant, right? We have the covenant to Noah, which we didn't actually talk about, but you'll know as basically God saying, I'm not going to do that again, and here's a rainbow to show you that I'm not going to do that again. Right? We have that covenant that God makes with Noah. We have the covenant that God makes with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 13 and 15, where God basically just says, I'm going to bless you. You will be a blessing. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand, as numerous as the stars. I'm going to give them this land, this promised land that we know of. Right? We, we really get to Moses, and we see this covenant, the covenant of the law that we talked about a few weeks ago, really the first five books of Scripture, this covenant that God makes with his people. And now we get to David, and with David, God really makes this covenant of, of kingdom. And so what we have here in First and Second Samuel is kind of the beginning of what we know as the kingdom of God. And now it would be easy at this point to just kind of look at the Israelites and be like, and what are they thinking? Like they have seen so much. They have seen God do so many things in their midst. They have seen his presence like physically with them, a cloud, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Why, what are they thinking? Like, why would they want a human king? But God has, God has, like I said, God has literally been in their presence the entire time. But it's kind of surprising that they would want one. But you know who wasn't surprised? Who wasn't shocked by the, by the, the Israelites wanting a king? God was not shocked. God was not surprised that Israel wanted a king. In fact, he talked about it in the book of Deuteronomy. You don't have to go there with me. You can just listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. Remember the law, the first five books. He is to write himself a copy of this law. 
taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him. He is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So God is not surprised that the people of Israel want a king. He told them in Deuteronomy that they would want a king. But he basically described it this way. He said, look, when you want a king and you want a king over you, this king needs to be so close to me that when you follow this king, it will be like you are following me. When you want this king, this king needs to follow my word. He needs to know my word. He needs to be close to me so that when you follow him, it looks and feels like you are following me. He's basically setting up this thing where this earthly kingdom that God is establishing on earth is supposed to reflect the kingdom of God, this heavenly kingdom that God has established. You know, as we, as we head back to, to 2 Samuel chapter 7, that's where we're going to kind of be hanging out this morning, we'll see, I think, that this was really the whole design, that this kingdom of David was set to look and to feel and to reflect the kingdom of God. Now, really, in any kingdom, and what we're going to talk about this morning, in any kingdom, there is kind of these, these truths about the kingdom. There is the who, there is the where, and there is the why. Right? In this case, you know, you have the kingdom of God, and it is God leading his people, the people of God. The where, we have in God's creation, the land that he has promised them, and the why, in this case, is the purpose of God, which we'll dive into in a second. But again, the Dave, the, David's kingdom needs to reflect the kingdom of God. And so we have these, these questions, all right, what's the who? What's the who in David's kingdom? Right, this earthly kingdom being established, David and his descendants are the ones who are going to lead the Israelites. But I don't actually, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want to miss who's actually doing the leading here. I don't want to miss who's actually leading. You know, in 2 Samuel 7 12, it says, When your days are over, you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. So we hear God say these words, his kingdom. I will establish his kingdom. You know, we get a little clarification in the book of First Chronicles. First uh, Chronicles is actually after what we've been reading. First uh, Chronicles chapter 22 is where we're going to be just for a second. Again, you don't have to go there. I'm not going to read too much here. You can just listen if you want. But First Chronicles chapter 22, starting at verse 6, it says this, Then he called David, this is at the end of David's life, by the way, Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord, my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You're not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth and in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. And I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So we see David's son Solomon is actually the one who's going to build this temple, which we read about earlier, actually, ironically, in 1 Kings uh, last week. But uh, we see even just a few chapters later, though, we get kind of some some more clarification here. uh, 1 Chronicles 29 Starting at verse 22, then they acknowledged Solomon as son of David, as king a second time, anointing him before the Lord to be ruler and Zadok to be priest. 
So Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. Now, I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. Whose throne was Solomon sitting on? It was not David's throne. He said he will come after his father David. It was not Solomon's own throne that he would be sitting on. It says that Solomon would be sitting on the throne of the Lord. Solomon will be sitting on the throne of the Lord, it says. Uh, So Solomon, verse 23, so Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of his father David. He prospered and all Israel obeyed him. So Solomon is established as king and he is sitting, not on his own throne, but on the throne of the Lord. So who in, in the kingdom of David, whose throne is it? It is still God's throne. No matter who the flesh and blood king is, it is still the throne of God. It is still God leading his people through this king, through this human king. So we have, we have kind of the who. The who is reflective here. Right? Who is leading the people of God? There is a human flesh and blood king, but in reality they are sitting on the throne of God. God is still leading his people. God is always the leader over the kingdom of God. And so we, we see this. We see this connection here. The kingdom of David reflects the kingdom of God. God is still leading his people. All right, what about the where? What about this, this place? Well, we, we've already seen the importance of, of land in this community. All right, even in 2 Samuel 7, we won't go back and read it, but he even says in reflection of the Genesis 12, I'm going to give them this land. They will be planted there. Right? We, we see this promise of, of land, and land was important. Land, people lived off the land. They needed a good land. They needed a fruitful land. But I think it goes so much deeper than just the physical where. Because as you keep reading there, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, you know, as he's talking about this, he said, wicked people are not going to oppress them anymore. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. All right, this, this place of the kingdom is going to be a place of rest, a place where they can have protection over their enemies, a place where they can uh, just be, be there. All right, the kingdom of God is a place where they can enjoy rest. You know, God's people have been wanderers, physically and spiritually, for really the entirety of their being. God's people are wanderers, but he's saying this is a place where you're going to be able to find rest. Okay, what about the why? What about the purpose? Why does God need a kingdom? Why is he even doing this? Why Why does God need a kingdom? Why is he doing what he's doing? And we get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 23 and 24, and... I think we get the answer here. Uh, verse 23 and 24 it says, And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself, to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt? You have established your people, Israel, as your very own forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. What is the purpose of the kingdom of God? It is so that God would, would establish this people that was his own. That he would have his own people. It's a, it's a, it's a kingdom where God can relate to his people. And, and, and we see this. And we see also, though, that it's not just about where he, can, where he redeemed a people. That's kind of the why, right? We have the why so we could redeem a people to have a people. But really the why is that so, so he, he could have glory to his name. And it's all for the glory of God. So we see, we know what we know about the kingdom of God. We see that it's a kingdom where God 
can relate to his people. He does so through a human king. It's a place where he, the people of God can find rest and see the glory of God. And it's a place where the people of God can worship him. You know, in First Kings, like we read, we kind of see the fulfillment of this. We see, which is ironic, it's kind of out of order, right? First Kings is well before Chronicles. But, uh, you know, we, see, we saw last week as Solomon established the, the temple there, we know that Solomon dedicates the temple. And really, I think as we go back there, we read this, this why once again, and it actually, like we, we actually see the why. I don't have First Kings marked in my Bible. I, I did the same thing in the video this week, and I forgot to do it, Eric. We see the why. First uh, Kings chapter 8, uh, verse 41. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land. This is Solomon speaking, by the way. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. What is the purpose of this? Solomon knew the purpose of the kingdom. The purpose was that God's name would be made great. That all the nations would hear of the name of God. Amen. This is the why. This is the, this is the why, right? That even in this dedication of, of Solomon here, we see that the, the picture of the earthly kingdom. It is a redeemed people of God making the name of God known throughout the entire world. This is, what it, this is the why. This is the purpose of everything, and even in building the temple, it's not just about God's chosen people. It's not an us attitude that Solomon has. It's about even the foreigner who comes and prays to this place because they have heard about your great name. Would you answer their prayer so they might really know that your name is great, that all the nations would know that your name is great? So here's the issue that comes into play, though, when we talk about the kingdom of God. Solomon was not the first king. David was, or actually Saul was, uh, but he's also not the last king. <laughs> and the kings of Israel were not always great. There were some good ones. There were some bad ones. There were some really bad ones. And there were some rough days ahead for the people of Israel. Remember that if that we keep talking about, that if, if you keep my commandments, if you do this, then I, you will be my people and I will be your God, this covenant that God makes with Moses. That if comes into play again. Because the people of God keep not obeying. They keep not living by this. And they go into exile again. The presence of God is once again removed from his people. The kingdom of God is once again no longer there. There is no longer a king over Israel. There is none of that. God basically just kind of leaves the Israelites to be for a while. And you get to the book of Hosea, which is later in Scripture, uh, I'm going to start doing the page numbers again. I'm sorry. I forgot to do that this week. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's later in Scripture. Hosea chapter 3, just a couple of verses here. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. You know, the king is gone. The presence of God is gone. So this, this question, how does the kingdom of God move on? 
How does the kingdom of God move forward? How does it continue to be? Because at this point, later in the Old Testament, God's presence is not with his people anymore. They no longer have the king over themselves. They are essentially in exile once again. So how does this kingdom of God move forward? Well, even just this this question paves the way for the kingdom of God to no longer be led by just a human king. It paves the way for the kingdom of God to no longer be led by just a human king. Human beings have always been and will always be inadequate to sit on the throne of God. That's, that's the Old Testament right there. Human beings are inadequate to sit on the throne of God. So what, what happens? Well, we leave the Old Testament and we get to the New Testament and we see God establishing his kingdom in a brand new way. All right, we see this in the book of Luke. This is going to be familiar scripture to you. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Oh, wait, the line of David, the descendants of David that will lead the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God. Here we go. It's Joseph. It is the, the, the name of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But an angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We get later on, chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Messiah. Do you know what a Messiah means? Messiah means the anointed one. God has sent his son, Jesus, as the anointed new leader of Israel. He is the king. He is is there to lead the kingdom of God forever. And yes, he is a human, but he is also God. He is... He is adequate to sit on the throne of God because he is God. The kingdom of God is being established once again, this time, through Jesus Christ. Right? God himself coming down in the flesh to establish his kingdom once again. The kingdom of God is here. God relates to his people. Remember, we have the, the who and the where and, uh, and the why. God is here. He is with his people again. God is leading his people, but it's not just through a human king. It is through his own son. We have God with his people, leading his people. He's literally with us. We'll talk about that more as we continue this theme of God's presence in the earth like we talk about. We'll continue that in the New Testament as well. Uh, He is with us. Remember the place that we talked about, this place of rest. What does Jesus say? He says, come and take my yoke upon you. Uh, My my burden is, (laughs) I will take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. I'll give you rest. Not, this is not just an Old Testament kingdom thing. This is true of the kingdom of God forever, that this kingdom is a place where the people of God can come and get rest. What about the purpose? The purpose that God's glory would be made known throughout all the nations. Well, we hear in John 1 talking about Jesus that we have seen his glory. 
all of these things are, are connected to Jesus. Jesus is the leader of the kingdom of God. He is here to establish the kingdom of God once again. And here's what I want us to see this morning. I know that we have covered a lot of scripture, more scripture than normal, and uh, sorry, not sorry, right? I wanted you to see all of those things. But I think, you know, as we go through the scripture, I want you to see this, that the kingdom of God is not just something that we wait for at some point down the road. The kingdom of God is not just something that's waiting for us in heaven. The kingdom of God has been established. It was established in the Old Testament with David and Solomon, and it moved into the New Testament and was established once again in Jesus. And that kingdom that Jesus has established is still here. The kingdom of God is here. It is right here, and it is right now. So what what does this mean? You know, especially as... We're going to see a lot of that, especially as the next two weeks as we get through Palm Sunday and Easter. But, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> what does this mean? What does it mean for us that the kingdom of God is now? It's not just something that we wait for at some point. What does it mean that it's now? I think what it means is that we, our lives, need to reflect the kingdom of God. That we need to give our lives for the advancement of the kingdom of God, that we don't just sit and wait until the kingdom of God comes, right? There's this saying that the kingdom of God is already not yet. You may have heard that saying. It's already not yet, right? That we, we are already living in the kingdom of God, but we have not yet seen with the, the clarity of what that will mean in the big picture. Uh, we are already in the kingdom of God, but we have not yet seen the fullness of what that means. And we look forward to that day, but the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is for you and it's for me. From the time of David reestablished in Jesus until right now today, we live in the kingdom of God. Our responsibility as believers is that we are, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen. In our citizenship, there is no higher citizenship than the citizenship of the kingdom of God. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God, and there is no higher allegiance than the allegiance that we have to the kingdom of God. That's right. We belong to this kingdom of God, and our responsibility is to invite others to experience this kingdom life. If you hear nothing else from me today, I want you to hear this. The kingdom of God is here. And my hope and my prayer is that our prayer can be the same as Solomon and First Kings as he is dedicating this temple and establishing this kingdom. That, that those, all of those people who are going to hear your name, would you hear their prayers and do what they ask so that they might really know that your name is great. So that they might really come to realize that you are God. May your name be made great in this kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. Now, we're going to get into a lot more of this. I think now you might understand why I wanted to get to the New Testament before Palm Sunday and Easter, because we're going to see a lot of this kind of continue as we get into Palm Sunday, as we continue into Easter. We're going to see more about this kingdom of God, but I just, I want us to see that the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not just something that we wait for sometime down the road. It is here right now, and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we give you thanks and praise this morning. God, we are just thankful to be able to be in this space and to be able to to worship and dive into your word. God, I know that we have gone 
through a lot of scripture, and we have read, read a lot this morning. We've gone through the majority of the Old Testament in one morning, and that is not easy work. But God, I just pray that you would just, you would just stick this idea with us this morning. The kingdom of God is here. That this kingdom of God is, is where we are right now. That it's not just something that we wait for. We are already living in the kingdom of God. We are already citizens of the kingdom of God. And God, I just pray that as we, as we move forward, that you would just remind us this week of, of our citizenship in the kingdom of God. And, and just teach us and, and show us what it means to live in that way. God, we, we want to live for you. We want our, our prayer in our lives to reflect even that same prayer that Solomon prayed, that, that everyone who would hear of your name would come to know your glory. God, would that be true of us this week, that they would come to know your glory, and would it be seen in us this week as well? God, we love you. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you uh, stand with me this morning? And... Uh, I'd like to pray a prayer of blessing over you as we do every week. And, uh, let me just pray this blessing over you. May our God, the King of his people, may he lead you and guide you this week. May he go with you and ahead of you this week and be wherever you may be, that you might be a light for him, that wherever you may go, you might be a signpost for the kingdom of God and that his name would get the glory. May he give you courage to do what he is calling you to do this week, that you might make a difference. Go in grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.